On today's show, we're going to see that the media really will let Biden say, he didn't say, things he said when he said them. Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. So 42 years later, do the two of you now happily retire? Do you still watch CNN? All the time. Everybody watches CNN. (laughs) Here's the difference, though. Here's the difference, though. Uh, I used to anchor at CNN. Now I just yell at CNN. (laughs) Can you help us understand you have more foreign policy experience than any president who has ever held this office? Whether those are your personal feelings or your feelings as president, do you understand why people would believe you as someone commanding one of the largest nuclear arsenals in the world, saying someone cannot remain in power is a statement of U.S. policy? And also, are you concerned about propaganda use of those remarks by the Russians? No and no. Tell me why. You have so much experience. You are the leader of this country. Because it's ridiculous. Nobody believes we're going to take down. I was, going to, I was talking about taking down Putin. Nobody would believe that. And you're going to see when you're there, and some of you have been there, you're going to see, you're going to see women, young people standing, standing in the middle of the front of a damn tank, just saying, I'm not leaving. I'm holding my ground. They're incredible. Nothing more to report. With regard to food shortage, yes, we did re- re- talk about food shortages. And, uh, and it's going to be real. The, the price of these sanctions is not just imposed upon Russia. It's imposed upon an awful lot of countries as well, including European countries and our country as well. The circumstances uh, in global oil markets today and global energy markets today provide the clearest possible signal why the United States needs to do everything it can to accelerate toward energy security and true energy independence. And the only way that we can ultimately do that is to reduce and eliminate our dependence on, uh, on uh, fossil fuels. Sir, deterrence didn't work. What makes you think Vladimir Putin will alter course based on the action you've taken today? Let's get something straight. You remember, if you covered me from the very beginning, I did not say that, in fact, the sanctions would deter him. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. You believe the actions today will have an impact on making Russia change course in Ukraine? That's not what I said. You, you're, you're playing a game with me. I know. The answer is no. CBS correspondent Christina Ruffini getting that last question into President Biden. History will record that before this invasion of Ukraine began, several administration officials representing the President of the United States, Joseph Biden, said, in fact, sanctions might deter that invasion. President just said again, emphatically, they don't deter. What they do is they sustain pressure over time, hoping to achieve a different result. Ed O'Keefe, our White House correspondent, is outside NATO headquarters, joins us now. Ed, your thoughts? 
Well, you make a good point there that, yes, in the lead up to all of this, administration officials had said this was designed to deter, and the story has changed. Thank you. Thank you very much. I know you're going to ask a really nice question. Well, it's, it's an important question, no, I think. Are you worried that other leaders in the world are going to start to doubt that America is back if some of these big things that you say on the world stage keep getting walked back? What's getting walked back? It made it sound like, just in the last couple days, uh, it sounded like you told U.S. troops they were going to Ukraine. It sounded like you said it was possible the U.S. would use a chemical weapon, and it sounded like you were calling for regime change in Russia. And we know none of the three occurred. None of the three. Occurred. None of the three, Mr. President. You, you, you interpret the language that way. I was talking to the troops. We we're talking about helping train the troops in that are the, the Ukrainian troops that are in Poland. That's what the context. I sat there with those guys for a couple hours. That's what we talked about. So when you said you're going to see when you're there, you were not intending to I was see referring to with meeting with and talking with the uh, Ukrainian troops that were in Poland. And when you said a chemical weapon use by Russia would trigger a response in kind. It will trigger a significant response. What does that mean? I'm not going to tell you. Why would I tell you? You've got to be silly. The world wants to know? The world wants to know a lot of things. I'm not telling them what the response would be. Then, then Russia knows the response. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. We must together work together to see where we are, where we are headed, where we are going, and our vision for where we should be. Because we have the ability to see what can be unburdened by what has been, and then to make the possible actually happen. To see what is possible, to see what can be unburdened by what has been, to reject the notion that the way things have always been has to be the way things will continue to be. I have a motto. I drink, I eat and drink no for breakfast. I eat no for breakfast. I eat no for breakfast. <laughs> there is no vaccine for racism. The climate crisis represents an existential threat to who we are as a species. Talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time. Because the reality is that the life of a black person in America has never been treated as fully human. We have supposed leaders who are pushing science fiction instead of science fact. This virus, it has no eyes. And yet it knows exactly how we see each other and how we treat each other. You guys are going to see you're going to literally see the craters on the moon with your own eyes. Oh with your own eyes, I'm telling you, it is going to be unbelievable. A friend in need is a friend indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and when folks vote, they order what they want. And in this case, they got what they asked for. And you to, to the speakership. Uh, we've got a midterm election this year. Most people saying it doesn't look very good uh, for your party. Uh, how do you see the, the midterms going and, and what do you see as the potential consequences if Democrats lose Congress? I don't have any intention of the Democrats losing the Congress in November. Uh, the uh, so-called conventional wisdom, well, there's nothing conventional anymore uh, because of the way people communicate. 
social media and, and how they receive their information, how they're called to action, how they're called to meetings, and the rest is quite different. So any assumptions, past assumptions about elections are obsolete. People said, well, history shows. Well, history, we're talking about the future. And I've been traveling the country. The response we're receiving is overwhelming. I'm, I'm so proud uh, because we do have a plan. We have a vision of victory. We have a plan to get it done. Uh, we're going to own the ground, uh, uh, um, mobilizing. You have to mobilize. You have to message. You have to have the money to get it done. If I just need to be so crude as talk politics, we brought up the subject. I'm proud of our chairman, Mr. Uh, Sean Patrick Maloney, and the work that he is doing. But all of our members are pitching in in terms of recruitment, in terms of mobilizing and the rest. And uh, again, when we won in, won in 06, we didn't have a president, a Democratic president in the White House. And we had our own message and we won. In 18, we didn't have a Democratic president in the White House capital D or small D, and we, we won the Congress. And now, uh, this time we do, we have a great president, a president with a great vision for America, tremendous knowledge about um, legislation and the law, a strategic thinker in how to get things done, and a person of great empathy to emotionally as well as intellectually connect with the American people. Uh, so as we get closer, uh, to the campaign season, uh, working with the president with our message of empathy, progress, and hope for the American people, as well as the uh, uh, the excellence of our members of Congress, as well as our. This is of great concern uh, to the White House. You know, three of the last four presidents have lost control of the House of Representatives in their first midterm election. And is there anybody in Washington who doesn't think that's going to happen in November? Well, it's funny. And Yamiche, I'm going to put up our generic ballot test here. And, you're, and the public's going to look at it. You'll see 46-44, Republicans up by two. Oh, that's not. That, that, that's a coin flip. This is the first time we've had Republicans leading in the generic ballot in our polls since September of 2014, eight years ago. There's always a little bit of a, of a, of a, of a Democratic average because there's more Democrats are more packed in some districts here. This is a huge red flag. It's a huge red flag, and it is coupled with the idea that people are blaming President Biden's policies for inflation. It's coupled with the idea yep. that... Um, Americans are still very, very concerned about how much they're paying for so many other things, not just gas. Um, and that also is, I think, part of the reason why when you when you ask people right now, um, they're they're essentially saying that Republicans are the ones who they trust with the economy. Right. That's going to be a hard thing for Democrats to overcome and, yep. and to message about. Yeah. Well, in this tax gas issue, it's a regressive tax because it impacts people harder, farther down the socioeconomic ladder as we and welcome back to the show. It is April 1st, year of our Lord, 2022, and what a clusterfuck. Sweet God. Just in the, I mean, I, I love the CNN one, him literally saying to a reporter, I never said that they would deter. Why do you say that? Because that's what you said. I could play a soundbite. Of them saying it's going to deter and then it's not going to deter and it didn't deter. You got him saying all sorts of crap he's not supposed to be saying. Telling troops are going to be there in Ukraine. Regime change, what they don't want. 
you see a spokesman literally saying the pain is why we're doing this. We want you to have high gas. We don't care. Kamala, Pelosi, and Chuck Todd. They're scared. I mean, they're still trying. Look at this. A clarion call for democracy. Where in that conversation was there a clarion call for democracy? I didn't see it. But the Spinmeisters were there, and I wanted to put the big banner up because that is just like headline news. Look at this shit. Seriously. Gasped by U.S. presidents. For God's sake, this man cannot maintain power. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down his wall. They got their talking points, and they all ran with it. I could spend a whole show on liberals literally saying this was Reagan-esque. The problem is Reagan wanted to say it. It was part of the speech. Biden just said it because he's got fucking Alzheimer's. I mean, seriously, people. Then you got Rick Wilson. After the clownish antics of Trump dictator filleting time in office, please seek the mysterious valley of my missing fucks if you think Biden calling for the end of Putin's regime as some kind of serious argument against Joe Biden. So Joe Biden saying Russia needs regime change is an outrage, while the Russians actually succeeding in causing regime change in the U.S. in 2016 is fine. Yet that is false. It's all false. Then they get mad because CNN actually does it. He fucked up. This is irresponsible. The Chiron makes it seems like this is somehow a war aim. It's his words. Mark Noller, a guy I follow on Twitter, he's a presidential reporter, was usually pretty straight, just reported stuff with no liberalisms when he was talking about Trump. Tops? Reagan. Okay. Jennifer Rubin. Biden. Making a speech akin to those at the Brandenburg Gate by JFK and Reagan in a square with the crowd. His delivery is quite strong. Thank God Biden won. Thank God. Okay. Well, here's some media filleting him in a nice piece on how a fucking piece of pizza destroyed our POTUS. The next headline sounds alarming. Quote, Biden's job approval falls to the lowest level of his presidency amid war and inflation fears. But let's add a little context to those fears. Let's bring in some facts. The United States is already sending billions in military and economic support to Ukraine. And there is every indication economic sanctions are strangling the Russian economy. Right now, NATO is as unified as it has ever been. And while inflation here at home is still a big problem, jobless rates are the lowest they have been in more than 50 years. And as the American people recover from COVID-19, so does our economy. But that is not translating to the American voter. A new NBC poll finds many Americans are still skeptical of Biden's ability to properly respond to the crisis in Ukraine. Just 28% say they have a great deal or quite a bit of confidence. Biden's general approval rating is not much better. 40% of those questioned say they approve of his performance 
55% say they disapprove. Charlie, I want you to explain that to us. I just ran down some significant hard evidence positives that we're experiencing and Biden can tout. Why isn't he reaping the benefits in the poll? You think Biden made a mistake here? He made a mistake to the extent that it is a gaffe. It was a outburst that was not part of his scripted remarks. I think probably influenced by his emotions being in the, uh, you know, visiting refugees that very day. It is not a call for regime change, though. Let's be clear. It's not a redefinition of U.S. policy. Uh, and to some extent, he just said the quiet part out loud, um, which is that nobody, a world leader, believes, I think, that, that the Vladimir Putin should remain in power indefinitely after <clears throat> showing himself to be such a fundamentally lawless butcher of civilians. Um, but that is different than a statement of regime change. Did it muddle an otherwise excellent speech? Absolutely. Was it a mistake because it's been a distraction for two days? Yes. Is it a redefinition of American policy? No. I agree. I agree with John. I don't think it was necessarily helpful, but I don't think it was that harmful either. Clearly, this has been the narrative coming out of the Kremlin for many years, right, since the revolution of, of dignity in Ukraine in 2013 and 2014. This has been the Kremlin's talking points, that the West wants to see regime change, that obviously we are a democratic country, as laughable as that is, and that it is the West and its outsiders that want to change leadership in Russia. That was always going to be their narrative, and so this feeds into that. That having been said, um, listen, this president has called Vladimir Putin a killer, and they ultimately met and had spoken many times after that. He called him a butcher recently. So I think all of the attention is unwarranted, and I don't think it was helpful to have every, nearly every single European leader weigh in and walk it back and say that's not their view or what have you. If we're going to be presenting a united front, as NATO has been, then they need to continue making that point. I will say the White House clearly thought there was an issue, else they would not have walked it back, right? They felt the need to walk it back, which indicates that they saw some kind of a problem. Can we have an honest conversation about gas prices? Because too much of the U.S. media chatter is distorted to the point of being dishonest. Many politicians act as though it's President Biden who caused inflation <laughs> and that he can fix this. No, I mean, you know, he did not cause the war which caused prices to surge. It was the Trump administration that overspent and drove up inflation. That's Trump's fault. And you heard the president of the United States come say Putin's price hike. He used that phrase that these are Putin's price hikes. Putin price hike. Putin's price hike. Putin's price hike. Putin's price hike. Putin's price hike is a great way to message it. Blaming Putin's war in Ukraine as a prime contributor. Yeah. There is some credence to that. 100%. The New York Times fact check about this was pretty explicit, saying Republicans wrongly blame Biden for rising gas prices. It makes sense that Republicans would pounce on President Biden. Republicans don't do anything except criticize Joe Biden. This isn't anything but a ploy for the midterm elections. 80% of Americans say that they're willing to pay higher prices. Uh, Americans are okay with paying a little more at the pump. We got used to $2 gas, yep. and, I also and that's the problem. You know what? Higher gas prices are, is a small sacrifice to make compared to what the, the brave Ukrainians are going through. So blame Putin, blame the gas companies, but don't blame Biden. He's doing everything he can. And Welcome to this special edition of Hannity on a Friday night. I'm Pete Hegseth in for Sean. And tonight, as the war in Ukraine rages on, Joe Biden, he's in Poland, where he paid a visit to U.S. soldiers and had a battle of his own with a piece of jalapeno and pepperoni pizza. Unfortunately, it continued to go downhill from there. A short time later, Biden forgot the name of his Secretary of Defense. 
Lloyd Austin. He forgot the name of the late Secretary of State, the name everyone knows, Madeleine Albright. And he called the Declaration of Independence corny. Watch this. We're based on an idea, literally the only country in the world based on an idea, that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all women and men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Sounds corny, but it's the truth of who we are. We've never lived up to it. And you know, a woman who just died, the Secretary of State, used to have an expression. She said, we are the essential nation. The reason why, when the general, when the Secretary of State asked me if I'd send another 12,000 troops along to the United States, I said, yeah, from the United States. All men are created equal. So corny. Believe it or not, it gets even worse. Today, the White House was forced to issue two major corrections. One, after Biden vowed to respond in kind to a potential Russian chemical attack. And the second, after Biden told U.S. soldiers, paratroopers of the 82nd Airborne, that they would soon be traveling across the border into Ukraine. Take a look. Also, the average citizen. Look at how they're stepping up. Look at how they're stepping up. And you're going to see when you're there, and some of you have been there, you're going to see, you're going to see women Young people standing, standing in the middle of front of a damn tank, just saying, I'm not leaving. I'm holding my ground. Of course, we're not sending troops into Ukraine to fright Russia. If you listen to Russian propaganda tonight, Russian TV, they're saying that's exactly what we're going to do. However, we are sending lethal aid and ramping up sanctions against Vladimir Putin. But according to Joe, those sanctions were never intended to deter Vladimir from anything. Watch this. Sir, deterrence didn't work. What makes you think Vladimir Putin will alter course based on the action you've taken today? Let's get something straight. You remember, if you covered me from the very beginning, I did not say that, in fact, the sanctions would deter him. Sanctions never deter. You keep talking about that. Sanctions never deter. What are, you, what are you talking about? Don't listen to anyone in my administration, like Vice President Harris and Secretary of State Blinken and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, all of which said that sanctions were specifically put in place to deter Russian aggression. But I guess Joe just never got the memo. Here with now for more on Biden's big trip abroad is White House correspondent Peter Ducey. Peter. Good evening, Pete. White House officials are telling us that President Biden does not intend to send U.S. troops into Ukraine, even though a few hours ago he was talking to U.S. troops about what they're going to see when they go to Ukraine. The National Security Advisor is also now cleaning up a comment the president made that the U.S. will respond to chemical weapons use by Russia in kind, Jake Sullivan is saying that does not mean the U.S. would use chemical weapons as well. He says that's never going to happen. The president is also now claiming that he would have liked to drop into Ukraine to see things for himself, but that handlers determined it was a security risk. The president also now talking about the conflict in Ukraine as bigger than just a war there. He says the world is being reorganized right now, and he wants to guarantee Democratic countries come out on top over dictators. We do expect the president to have a full schedule in Poland tomorrow in this city where trains full of innocent civilians fleeing the war next door keep arriving. Pete. 
Peter Ducey from Warsaw, Poland tonight. Peter, thank you so much. Joining us now with reaction is the author of The Desecrators, defeating the cancel culture mob and reclaiming one nation under God. You know, that corny stuff. Chairman of the American Conservative Union, Matt Schlapp, along with Fox News contributor Charlie Hurt. Uh, Matt, Charlie, great to see you both tonight. You know, Matt, a slip of a tongue, you know, from the White House podium on a domestic issue Maybe not that big of a deal. You forget a name here or there, or you incorrectly state a policy position. But when you're in Poland and Vladimir Putin's been in Ukraine for a month, you can't afford to be making two, three, four, five mistakes like this. Yeah, and here's the thing I'm worried about, Pete, is I have no earthly idea what our policy is. I don't know what the Biden administration Hmm. wants to do. They want to talk tough. Are we really going to use chemical weapons? I think that's absurd. They had to clean that up. Um, Are we going into Ukraine? Are we not going into Ukraine? Do we know what cabinet secretary is doing what? I mean, this is alarming. Look, they've got a bad situation. They've got a president who has to read cue cards and a vice president who has no clue cards. They got no they got nobody really to speak for them. I think they've got to get away from the president making these public comments slippery as it is. And they have to have intermediaries uh, make the policy statements, because right now this is very dangerous. And remember, our enemies are watching every word this man says. Yeah, they, uh, absolutely they are, Matt. It's, it's not, you can't bring the right-hander in from the bullpen. I mean, we tried the vice president first, and we saw how that went in South America and also in Eastern Europe. You, you, mentioned, you mentioned it, though, Matt. Uh, our enemies are listening to this. Charlie, Russian TV today is putting out as fact that American troops will be going into Ukraine. I mean, a statement like that gets played on repeat, which right. if the whole calculation is how does Vladimir Putin view this, not that we should be giving in to his sentiments, but if how he calculates matters, you can't make a statement like that if you don't want the war to escalate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole reason that we have the, uh, a massive espionage apparatus is so that we actually know what our enemies are thinking. And I don't think that this administration knows or cares. And I could I agree completely with Matt. Uh, you know, but if we're confused about what the policy is, imagine what our enemies think of it. And, and imagine what those troops think of it when they're told that they are going in and they're going to go in and be expected to die for something that is corny. It, all of it is so baffling, so yeah. confusing. And yes. actually, what I kind of worry about all of this right now is that this entire thing is, I think that the White House views it almost as a photo op because he has so much political trouble here right. at home. He has decided that he's going to go over these images of him with the troops. Every president wants these images. They're wonderful. It's not because uh, the president makes the troops look good. It's because the troops make the president look good. And uh, here we are a month into this thing, and he's not gotten any sort of bounce out of any of it. And I think that the White House is literally getting desperate. and And we're talking about the smallest of small ball. They're getting desperate about poll numbers at home and that's why they're doing this right now and 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 the 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 danger is that he's going to bumble us into something far more dangerous than we're already in that's exactly right uh, one miscalculation and we're a step away from that chemical attack that he said we would respond in kind in there's also rumors that a change in language we may change the way we view usage of nuclear weapons but matt i want to go to you on the idea of deterrence because we heard for months and months 
the word deterrence tied to sanctions, that that's how we're going to prevent Vladimir Putin. We're going to hold off until it looks like that's he's right. going to do it. And then we think he's going to do it. And now, and, but this is also the administration that brought us, uh, you know, the debacle in Afghanistan that's bringing us the what will soon be a debacle in the Iranian deal. So what's a patriotic American watching this program who's rooting for the Ukrainians to kick the Russians out, but is worried about the incompetence in the White House? What are what are those people to think about what American action should look like right now? Well, they're going to hope the next three years really passes quickly because I'm just old enough oh. to remember <laughs> 1976. And we had a president who was uh, unleashing inflation unleashing gas prices where people had to like go even in odd days to fill their tanks and they couldn't even afford to fill their tanks, ethical problems in his family and a Russian aggressor going into Afghanistan. Um, this is a replay and the American people look, they're smart, Pete, despite what the, the socialists think of us. They're smart. They know that this job is yes. a big job and they make a decision on the person in that job pretty quickly. I think when I look at these poll numbers, and look, I'm a partisan, but I can look at poll numbers and say that this is almost a spent bullet in his presidency. The American people think he is not up to the job. Now his handlers have to make sure that we don't bungle ourselves into a war. And this is a very, very, very serious time for our country. It really is. Uh, Matt, you, you make a great point. Uh, Charlie, I want to hone in a little bit on that word corny. Uh, this idea that the president of the United I mean. Under my plan, which is before the Congress now, we can take advantage of the next generation of electric vehicles that a typical driver will save about $80 a month from not having to pay gas at the pump. If your home is powered by... But we cannot allow the fossil fuel industry to use this as an excuse to reverse everything we're doing to save the planet. One of the things I think that the president may say, I don't have this as a fact is that we will use the um, Defense Production Act to speed up uh, diversification uh, so that we're not so dependent uh, on oil. These are like shiny rims, spinning, spinning, spinning. Look at this Bloomberg thing. I mean, are you fucking serious? Take the bus. Don't buy in bulk. Try lentils, because meat's bad anyway, you dick. Nobody said this would be fun. That's that's how they're going to spin it out. But everything's going to shit. It's lower than that. It's lower than 33. Are you fucking kidding me? You're liberally pounding that pole. We're not morons. In the latest one, 64% of voters believe that Biden administration policies have increased inflation. Meanwhile, only 8%. But guess what? ABC, CBS, NBC, Nightly News all failed to cover this poll. They ignored it because they don't want to hurt them. This very week, FEC charged Hillary for fucking... Lying. And you still saw media members saying, well, Russia stole our election. Even with, though we know unequivocally it's a lie. It's not true. 
this week. Biden administration was caught. The teachers union were telling the CDC what to say, and the CDC was saying it. This week, she got COVID. Do you remember what happened when somebody in the Trump administration got COVID? Does anybody remember? It was like the end of fucking days. It was outright the end of days. But yeah, just a blip. You even have authors writing shit like this. An underrated reason why Biden and Dems are politically underwater is that voters being told for four years of substantial evidence that Trump was the most criminal person to ever be president. Yet there's been zero actual consequences. But Trump. And then this week we find out they're going to do this. They're going to take veteran affairs doctors away from vets to go trade illegals because now we're going to have the highest level ever this week alone. The most ever at the border. But because it's all bad, because the polls are horrible, sweet God, people talked about Hunter. Incriminating evidence allegedly found on a laptop belonging to Biden. <laughs> Some sort of Russian, Russian disinformation, disinformation campaign effort. One eternity later. Biden emails finally authenticated according to the New York Times. Yeah. It's rewind time. It's a lie. Altered or fake. Unverified emails. The story did not quite land due to the lack of verification. Let's be verified. What can't be verified? The laptop. Why do you say that? Well, because it can't be verified. I don't even want to report this. This is the one of the most powerful families in Washington. I'm a journalist. Okay, I would love if you guys would start doing that verification. No, we're not going to do your work for you. It's a journalist's job. Not anymore. For all we know, these emails are made up. Not really stories, just pure distractions. No serious journalist should fall for it. It's a journalist's Contrary job to, to, to find out if this is verified. The bottom line is we cannot confirm the story. Experts say the emails cannot be authenticated. The mainstream media is not reporting on this story because we can't authenticate this material. Um, uh, the Hunter Biden laptop material is genuine. Genuine. This is a classic example of the right-wing media machine. It just lacks credibility. The fact that it appeared in the New York Post. The only place low enough to put this orphan bastard story in print. Obvious disinformation. It is so obviously a Russian operation. So obviously disinformation. So obviously a Russian plot. Tell me why it's so obviously a Russian plot to you. This is uh, just classic textbook Soviet-Russian tradecraft at work. Right, exactly. And this is classic, very classic. Uh, Russian disinformation tactic. Your classic disinformation campaign. We shouldn't look at it as anything other than a Russian disinformation operation. 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 Known Kremlin disinformation. Russians would be my number one guess. Obviously, Russia. Russian disinformation operation. Russian disinformation. Pushing Russian disinformation. It does bear the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinformation. Hunter Biden's laptop looks like it's tied to Vladimir Putin in Moscow. Is that laptop yours? I don't know. I, I truly... The, you don't know. The serious answer is that I truly do not know the answer to that. Did you leave a, a laptop with a repairman not in Wilmington? Biden secret emails. A really fishy story. The Post claimed that the emails were found on a laptop computer that was brought to a repair shop in Delaware in the spring of 2019. The FBI is now investigating whether those alleged Hunter Biden emails 
are actually connected to a larger foreign intelligence operation. They may be related to a foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence operation. For all we know, these emails are made up. The information found on the laptop may be part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Part of a Russian uh, disinformation uh, effort. Described by many intelligence experts as having hallmarks. All the hallmark, hallmarks, rather. All the hallmarks of a Russian. Or Russian. Russian disinformation. Russian disinformation. Disinformation campaign. This is a classic example of the right-wing media. Well, first of all, I don't think it's a new revelation that that laptop is, laptop is authentic. I mean, to me, it's just jaw-dropping. It took the New York Times and other members of the mainstream media to admit that that was authentic. I think that was pretty widely known within a few weeks of uh, the dissemination of some of the information on that uh, laptop. It was pretty apparent. So I think what it really reveals is the complicity of the media in the entire Russian hoax in terms of the political dirty trick, probably the biggest political dirty trick in, in U.S. history. And it was all centered around the narrative that Russia interfered in our election. And that's the greatest threat to our democracy, when in fact, it was the mainstream media, it was really the Democrats buying and paying for Russian disinformation, aided and abetted by the complicit mainstream media that perpetrated the biggest dirty trick in, in U.S. history and interfered in our election to a far greater extent, orders of magnitude more than Russia or China could ever hope for. It seems pretty clear that Hunter Biden was uh, trading on his father's name to make a lot of money. Now, some of our new reporting about a controversy inside CBS News. CBS executives are on the defensive for hiring former Trump White House official Mick Mulvaney and for not identifying him that way on the air in his first appearance. There's been some internal pushback, including from top on-air talent. And so now CBS, after Mulvaney had attacked the, news, the media for so long, has signed Mulvaney onto a deal of political contributors. He's not a journalist, but he's a political contributor on the network. And it's causing a lot of backlash, you know, where uh, the Washington Post, for instance, reported yesterday that there were employees who were very upset. They said that they're embarrassed about how this was handled. But here's the stuff, argument right? from CBS. Uh, there's a midterm coming up. Uh, you've got to reflect the 74, 5 million Americans who voted for Trump in 2020. So you have to hire political insiders. That's like saying you have to inject lies into coverage to make people feel more comfortable. You know, sometimes, Brian, the truth is uncomfortable. It's going to make people a little upset. They're not going to enjoy hearing their views uh, contradicted. But that's what reporters do. They report the facts regardless of uh, how it's going to go over with the audience. Mm. And so when you have Mulvaney in there, I think it's just a, it's, it's a really problematic hire, I think, for CBS. And, and it's going to be interesting to see whether employees continue to voice concerns and whether this grows inside CBS or whether it just blows over in a few days. Yeah, really New York Times, Washington Post is out of the goddamn blue. It's all real. Here's how the Post analyzed Hunter Biden's laptop. Two experts confirmed the veracity of thousands of emails, but say a thorough examination is stymied by missing data. Oh, missing data like Trump's uh, phone logs. That as of this morning, they realized there was no missing data. But when this came out, CNN and MSNBC went into over-fucking-load pushing shit. Just pushing crazy shit that somehow he was using secret communications to get around it and, con and control the mob. Brian Seltzer melts down. CNN's Brian Seltzer refused to walk back his false claim Hunter Biden's laptop email or Russian disinformation.
He won't even cover the story. There are texts he did. Hey, just curious, when did I claim Hunter Biden's laptop emails are likely Russian propaganda? We covered that a couple shows ago where he even tries to play like he didn't. Hunter Biden's laptop revamp prompts sharp piece on evasion of fact checkers. There, there's GOP members trying to withdraw all the security clearances of all the motherfuckers who said it was Russian propaganda when they knew they were lying. They were 100% lying and they knew they were lying. So the tide is turning a bit. I mean, we got a little... But with the SCOTUS, we get our media jerk off the week. I am Republican, the media jerk off of the week. So hot. So, uh, Jeffrey, what's your reaction to this exchange, uh, Republican Senator Josh Hawley trying to paint Judge Jackson as somehow sympathetic to child porn uh, offenders? I mean, this, this was really extraordinary. You have a judge here who has been on the bench for 10 years almost, and we had the entire half hour of, of Senator Hawley's question about a single case where he got to recite the grisly details of and, and say pedophilia over and over again. This is about appealing to the QAnon audience, this cult that is a big presence in Republican Party politics now that is is where where Senator Hawley is trying to ingratiate himself with with that group and run for president with their support. This has very little to do with Judge Judge uh, Jackson, who, as has come come out throughout uh, the hearing today, is one of many judges who have found the sentencing guidelines in these uh, child porn possession cases excessive. Uh, but I mean, that was really an extraordinary half hour, all about a single case. Abby, what's your reaction to Senator Hawley's questioning of Judge Jackson on this one case? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, first of all, Jeffrey is absolutely right that this is definitely a dog whistle to the kind of QAnon right. Um, and the substance of the argument, uh, as has been explained many times. But um, Senator Booker, who is uh, even more loquacious than I am, um, his oration um, that made her cry, I would have cried if my in-laws and my mother weren't also sitting in the living room as we watched this. When I saw her wiping away the tears, I felt that in my bones because I understood where that emotion was coming from. You know, in, in the black community, we, we call everyone brother and sister, that brother over there, that, sis, that sister over there. And it really wasn't until watching that that I really understood what that meant. I'm about three years older than Judge uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Mm -hmm. I'm an only child. I don't know her. I've never met her. But watching her sit there, as so we're looking at that picture right now, I felt as if I was, look, I was watching a relative go through hell. And to have Senator Booker remind her, but remind the country 
of why she's there, how hard she worked, how qualified she is, and to not let anyone rob her of her joy, how important that was. She loves her country. She's uh, interviewing for a job she's always wanted, and yet we had people there um, just trashing her in ways. We work so hard as African Americans to get to these spots and to stay in these spots, and, and to have to jump through these hoops and be questioned by people who aren't even at our level, but yet that's what we have to do to get in the tent, get a seat at the table, and then to keep that seat. What did you make of it? Yeah, well, um, and so I, I'm moved by that. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we have a, a group of uh, Republican senators who are not really senators. They're cable TV hosts. And they use the, these hearings as an occasion to drag up whatever issue is popular with Tucker. And so whether it's what is a woman or whatever it's going to be, they're going to ask her about that. They're not going to ask her about judicial philosophy. They're not going to ask about temperament. Uh, they're just going to ask about whatever the issue of the moment is. And it reached its apogee with Ted Cruz, who I spoke about nicely last week. It goes back to being a schmuck this week. We don't um, remember that. <laughs> uh, He's, he makes, makes a big kerfluffle and then leans back and checks out how he's doing on Twitter. Then Republican Senator Ted Cruz grilling the first black woman nominated to the high court about race. Reading from a children's book called Anti-Racist Baby, saying it's taught at the school Jackson's teenage daughter attends and where the judge sits on the board. Do you agree with this book that is being taught with kids that, that babies are racist? Senator... I do not believe that any child should be made to feel as though they are racist or though they are not valued or though they are less than. On abortion, Jackson making her position clear. Roe and Casey are the settled law of the Supreme Court. And near the end of the hearing, Jackson getting personal, opening up about the realities being a working mom. She fielded questions about her personal life, about her judicial philosophy, and some questions that may have had more to do with the political ambitions of the senators asking. For Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, a marathon day in the Senate's hot seat. The 51-year-old federal judge, already an historic nominee, would become the first... Late last night, Republicans pressed Jackson on cultural issues, too, including transgender rights. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. The of the if there's a dispute about a definition, people make arguments, and I look at the right. law, and I just... Tonight, Senate Republicans again going after this historic nominee, almost singularly focused on Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson's sentencing record for people convicted of possessing or sharing child pornography. For the second day in a row, Texas Senator Ted Cruz ticking through individual cases. Let's turn now to the historic confirmation hearings for the first black woman nominated to the Supreme Court. The day was filled with Republicans attacking her record and Democrats. Historic hearing. Judge Katanji Brown Jackson facing down Republican attacks, closing out the final day of questioning, the emotional moment that brought her to tears.
These confirmation hearings have been bitter. They've been tense. They've been emotional. But Judge Jackson still appears to be on a path to confirmation. This morning, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson clearing a major hurdle, closing out the final day of questioning, facing down Republican attacks. But Senator Josh Hawley himself has voted for at least three judges who engaged in the same practice. According to the U.S. Sentencing Commission, just 30% of people convicted of viewing or sharing child pornography are sentenced within the federal guidelines. The majority have received lesser sentences from judges nominated by both parties. After hours of tense and combative questioning, Senator Cory Booker bringing Judge Jackson to tears. Senators, members of Jackson's family in this hearing room were visibly moved by those words from Senator Cory Booker. Grilled on the Hill, Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson under fire from Republican senators over her record on the bench. Democrats racing to her defense. You have earned this spot. You are worthy. Democrats defending Jackson's sentences as consistent with 70% of federal judges. And even a Republican pushing back on the spectacle. Committee Democrats using their time largely to praise Judge Jackson's record and temperament and remarking on the history her confirmation to the court would make. New Jersey's Cory Booker with a late afternoon pep talk. I watched a lot of the hearings yesterday. It was very painful to watch. A lot yesterday afternoon. Jackson won't be in the hot seat as a panel of experts testify after an emotional and exhaustive hearing with searing attacks on the first black woman who is likely to be confirmed to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court nominee Katanji Brown Jackson welled up on her final day of questioning. It was punctuated by several contentious exchanges, beginning with South Carolina's Lindsey Graham, who needled the judge over everything from whether she watched Justice Brett. Kavanaugh's hearings to relentless no questioning over her sentencing record in child exploitation cases. To people who felt your line of questioning was inappropriate, you say what? That she would not answer my question. I must say the words of uh, Senator Cory Booker hmm. were powerful. It was very powerful. It was so tough, I thought, yesterday to watch. Regardless of how you feel about her, it felt so personal watching her being really attacked for something that has nothing to do with the job that she's going to do. That's the thing that got me. Lindsey Graham, many of these people have voted for her several times, and now all of a sudden, the way she was treated, I thought, was very difficult to watch. Yeah, I think the word attack is a fitting word. In order to stoke the MAGA base, we heard all the hot-button cultural wedge issues, regardless of the relevancy to Judge Jackson's actual role in the court. And despite the important fact, that none of these senators has or plans to legislate on any of it. Because to be clear, they do not care about any of it, nor would they use their power to do anything about it. But they know their base gets really excited about critical race theory and, and questions about racist babies and accusing black people of being soft on crime and about right-wing Christian victimology and QAnon. To that end, Lindsey Graham even asked Judge Jackson to rate her religiosity on a scale of one to 10. The genius out of Tennessee asked her to define the word woman, a question no previous Supreme Court nominee has ever been asked. Josh Hawley, you know, fist in the air Josh, and slaveholder descendant Tom Cotton reprised their QAnon baiting smears against Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, drilling down on her sentence in one particular case involving child pornography as a Testament to her unimpeachable qualifications, however, Judge Jackson did not back down.
because they're all, they're just performers and they're trying right now, Joyce, to perform, as you said, for the, the for their base, right? For the QAnon people, they're constantly saying uh, child pornography because they know that triggers QAnon and they want them to vote Republican. I mean, this is very simple. We know what they're doing. But I'm struck by the fact that a woman who is a judge, who is already a very esteemed um, legal mind that everyone agrees because they keep putting her on the bench, on the federal bench, she was treated essentially like Anita Hill. She was treated like Christine Blasey Ford. Because she is a woman, she could not act like Kavanaugh. And, and I think what that says to women, to women who are lawyers, to black women, is that the standard for us is that we have to always behave as an adult. The standard for white men is they can behave as a child and still get as far or further than we can. They sent that message very clear. Lindsey Graham, all the little mansplainers, all the little Confederacy crew that really sounded like they were in the 19th century still. They, they can behave. I go back to, in particular, Senator Blackburn's line of questioning, especially following the questioning that she had of another black judicial nominee, Andre Mathis. And she was making cognitive leaps that were really impossible to make uh, about issues of race and education as she was questioning the judge. Did you see racism in any of that? You know, I, look, I am not going to uh, ascribe any particular motive or anything. I'm not going to put the label on anyone at this point. The main thing I want to do is highlight Judge Jackson and her qualifications and her brilliance and the type of justice, a true justice for all that she's going to be on the Supreme Court. So I'll let others uh, judge individual senators. Look, this is a historic nomination, right? This is going to be historic, uh, assuming she is confirmed. This is a big day in history, you know, for the country, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. I do think some of that got lost in some of these hearings. Uh, do you, are you confident you're going to hold Joe Manchin in the vote? We believe that uh, uh, Judge Jackson is going to get confirmed. Uh, he is one of several members of this committee who are potentially running in a Republican primary in 2024. So I think there was a lot of uh, performative actions toward that particular audience. And a lot of them are competing in the same space. Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, are, if they both run for president, a lot are going to be competing for a lot of the same voters. It's the same chunk of the Republican Party. And they are voters that are focused on the issues that they brought up repeatedly. And you raised Marsha Blackburn as well. I mean, I think you saw there some examples of, of dragging a lot of the, the worst of the Internet conspiracy theories onto this particular very public mainstream stage, uh, including this focus on, on child pornography. Clearly, looking at sentencing and child pornography cases or, or any of the cases she judges uh, is fair game in terms of talking about the hearing. Uh, but the obsession with child porn in general is something that's you know, native to QAnon and, and, and come, like, hits a lot of buttons for for people who have found conspiracies on the right in recent years. And the private school that uh, Brown Jackson is on the board of trustees on, it was just Marsha Blackburn's body of work, not just in this hearing, but in others, certainly. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz, his line of query to Judge Jackson seemed to indicate to the first black woman ever to be nominated to the Supreme Court that she's soft on crime, she's soft on pedophiles, and that she holds views that whites are somehow oppressors. Vlad, I mean, there is just no there there. I mean, if you look at her sentencing in those cases, it's not out of whack with how other federal judges approach these cases. They got no traction from that. And I thought what was interesting is that, you know, you saw her personality really uh, come through in that questioning. You know, when you're trying to strike a match uh, and it won't light, you know, there's just no spark. You saw the Republicans trying to strike the, that match, 
but there weren't any sparks, which, I mean, from her perspective, I think that is a very good thing. They say that these hearings are not just about Judge Jackson. They're, they are a prism for the upcoming midterm elections. So many of the issues that Republicans want to be talking about on the campaign trail, beyond Ukraine, beyond the economy, crime, matters of race, matters of gender, they are bringing up in these hearings. I'm so glad that you made that point, Robert, because I was wondering if some of that line of questioning was even relevant to why she was in the room yesterday. Do you get the sense that there will be some Republicans? It's so partisan these days in Washington. Do you get the sense that any Republicans will vote for her? Jan, what do you make of Senator Cory Booker's exchange with Judge Jackson asking about her parents and her children, getting a bit emotional? Do you believe that strategy for the Democrats is going to work? Oh, I mean, Nate, I mean, that was striking. You know, sometimes in these hearings, there's going to be this moment where, you know, you can just feel the fight uh, just leaves the room. And we saw that in the confirmation hearings for Justice Alito, for example, his wife burst into tears, rushed out. And I thought Senator Booker's questioning came pretty close to a moment. I mean, it was among the most powerful of the day, not only that exchange you mentioned about her parents, but also when he asked about the high murder rates of black men, her worries for her own family, she called it anguishing, uh, something I know she said all too well that revealed that personal side of her and then of course on the other side of the aisle there was a misstep uh, by Republican Senator Kennedy from Louisiana who described her as articulate well we didn't we know the numbers are in her favor you know she certainly is going to be confirmed do you think this is still the best way to do this guys knowing what the outcome we already know what the outcome is going to be mm -hmm. seems to lend itself to a lot of grandstanding that's always been the case. I mean, Robert knows that just as well as anybody. I mean, it's always more about hearing the senators talk. But we do, the American people do get to see uh, Judge Jackson. And it's like, that that's really valuable, I think. Bob, what do you think? <laughs> Gail, it is the United States Senate. They had to do this. They mean he had to bend over and do this because this was your hearing. This is... This is your candidate. Oh, and I'm going to throw Kavanaugh on there so you remember what that was like. Senator, what do you like? Judge, have you, I don't know if it's buffed or boofed. How do you pronounce that? That Judge. refers to flatulence. We were 16. Okay. And so when uh, your friend Mark Judge said the same, put the same thing in his yearbook page back to you, he had the same meaning. It was flatulence. I don't know what he did, but that's my recollection. We want to talk about flatulence at age 16 on a yearbook page. I'm, I'm game. Um. In comes the internet. On the internet, with one click, you can receive, you can distribute tens of thousands. You can be doing this for 15 minutes, and all of a sudden, you are looking at 30, 40, 50 years in prison. Good. Good. I understand. Absolutely Senator, good. I hope you are. To do good. Allow her to finish, please. I hope you go to jail for 50 years. If you're on the internet trolling for images please. of children and sexual exploitation. So, so you don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a that's horrible not thing. That's what the witness said, and she should be allowed. Uh, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? Mm, not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. The meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition? Senator, in my work as a judge, what I do is I address 
disputes. If there's a dispute about a definition, people make arguments, and I look at the right. law and I decide. Well, so I'm not. The fact that you can't give me a straight answer about something as fundamental as what a woman is underscores the dangers of the kind of progressive education that we are hearing about. Just last week, an entire generation of young girls watched as our taxpayer-funded institutions permitted a biological man to compete and beat a biological woman in the NCAA swimming championships. What message do you think this sends to girls who aspire to compete and win in sports at the highest levels? Senator, I'm not sure what message that sends. If, if you're asking me about the legal issues related to it, um, those are topics that are being hotly discussed, as you say, and I could come to the court. To because of the advances in medical science, the fetus can live outside the womb after about 23 weeks. Is that your understanding? Senator, I haven't studied this, so I, I don't know the... the um, a number of weeks in the way that you're okay. saying. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about viability. Um, the line that was drawn uh, for pre-viability and post-viability analysis by the courts. Um, what does viability mean when it comes to an unborn child, in your understanding? Senator, I hesitate to speculate. I don't. I know that it is a point in time that the court has identified in terms of uh, when uh, the standards that apply to regulation of the right. Justice Brennan, at a later point in his career on the Supreme Court, admitted that the viability line was an arbitrary line. Do you agree with, agree with him? Senator, I'm not able to comment on um, viability. There's a, a case pending in the Supreme Court right now concerning the issues. Um, I'm asking you about previous decisions, but I, I, I hear you. Um, no one suggests that a 20-week-old fetus can live independently outside the mother's womb. Do they? I, I don't know. I mean, you need, the child will need to be fed or sheltered and all the other essentials to sustain human life. Um, so there's no suggestion that after 20 weeks that a child can be, live independently, correct? Senator, I'm, I'm not a biologist. I haven't studied this. I don't know. People are taking uh, a thousand cases you've been o over. Is that right? I'm sorry. I said you wouldn't ask you questions, but just give me a Some, something like that. Something like that. And from what I understand is that these cases are often takes take days, weeks, sometimes months. Right. To, to, to decide to, in to a case. Yeah, yeah. Yes. There's a trial sometimes. And the folks are taking any of those cases and just trying to pick pieces out. And so uh, my, my colleague, Senator Hawley, has been doing this all into the lead up and saying things, tweeting things that I think that a lot of us, when I was just trying to get some advice here, is this is what the new standard is going to be. That any judge coming before us 
that has ever chosen outside of the sentencing guidelines, below the sentencing guidelines. We're creating this environment now where I could make myself the hero of people who have been victims of some horrible crime and suddenly put whatever judge I want on the defensive by trying to drag out little bits when they have no context to the case. None of the facts. They're seeking to exploit the complexities of a criminal justice system, the reason why we have a third branch of government. I, I feel bad that there was a judge mentioned by name in this hearing that's uh, uh, from Senator Hawley's state. What is that judge going to think next time they, they have a complicated sexual abuse case that comes before them? And they know that they could possibly be called out if they go below the sentencing guidelines, which I showed you yesterday in my lack of chart. You remember I was uncharted. Um, <laughs> but that you are deciding completely in the norm. 70 plus percent in many states of people are doing just like you did. But I'm a, I'm a Democratic senator. I, 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 I've never quoted from this very well-respected conservative a periodical. This is the National Review. Very well respected. They're not, not necessarily something I agree with all the time. But here's what the National uh, Review, this is the title. Senator Hawley's disingenuous attack against Judge Jackson's record on child pornography. I'll just read the first paragraph. I would oppose Judge Katanji uh, Brown Jackson because of her judicial philosophy for the reasons I outlined last week. I address that in a separate post. For now, I want to dis discuss the claim by Senator Josh Hawley that Judge Jackson is appallingly soft on child pornography offenders. This is the kicker here. The allegations appear meritless to the point of demagoguery. I... I I got letters from leaders of victims' rights groups, survivors of assault, all saying sort of the same thing with the National Review. Feel proud about yourself. You brought together right and left in this, in this, in this calling out of people that will sit up here and try to pull out from cases and try to put themselves in a position where they're the defenders of our children. To a person who has children. To a person whose family goes out in streets and defends children. I, I mean, this is a, a new, new low. And what's especially surprising about this is it didn't happen last year. You were put on a court that I'm told is the considered like the second most powerful court in our land. And you were passed with bipartisan support. Nobody brought it up then. Did they not do their homework? Were they lax? Did they make a mistake? I wonder, as they asked you the question, do you regret? I wonder if they regret that, that they didn't bring that out. No. Why? Because it was an... I would suggest that the information contained in these reports is dangerous dangerous to the victims and to the innocent people who are mentioned in these reports and unnecessary at this point. It's never been requested by this committee and it's merely a fishing ex expedition in dangerous territory.
classified settings, redacted versions of the reports. This has never happened in the history of this committee. And I would say, Senator, Senator, I, I will just tell you, I am not going to be party to turning over this information and endangering the life of an innocent person for a political quest to find more information. We have exhausted this topic. And we've gone to it over and over again. And I think that this is a bridge too far for this committee. That's my personal feeling. I take it the Senator Leahy may agree with me in that regard. So I wonder then, Sophia, what you thought about Republicans, what they did during this hearing, and how they seemed to say, well, Brett Kavanaugh was treated very poorly. Look, as someone who was a Republican for 25 years of my life as a black woman, I understand how difficult it is to be a part of that party. But the shenanigans and the disrespect that we witnessed this past week, let's not mince words. It was race baiting. It was politics. It was condescension. Nothing that this judge has done or said in her past warranted those type of attacks. She made a good distinction about Justice Kavanaugh. I didn't think Justice Kavanaugh was well-treated, Brianna. I thought they should have gone into private session with that information and spared the judge and the witness, most importantly, the type of attacks and scrutiny that they came under. But the point here is, is that if you look at the record, Republicans supported Katanji Brown-Jackson in the past. Mitch McConnell has voted for her. Ted Cruz has voted for her. Thune has voted for her, Grassley. So for them now to fast forward and say somehow this woman isn't competent or that she was evasive, what? Because she didn't define what a woman is for Marsha Blackburn? Excuse me. And so I think that what really disturbs me, Brianna, is that this is a historic nominee, right? Sandra Day O'Connor, 99 votes. Thurgood Marshall, 69 votes. Sonia Sotomayor, 68 votes. We have a practice in the Senate of historic first, like the first black woman or the first black person or the first woman getting significant bipartisan support. And this judge deserves it. And the way they treated her was appalling. I am appalled as a black woman, appalled. Carlos, is it concerning to you, to the American Bar Association, that we are seeing now this completely partisan divide when it comes to the confirmation of justices, as we saw with Amy Coney Bill of one to 10. How faithful would you say you are in terms of religion? Do you agree with this book that is being taught with kids that, that babies are racist? And do you think that these, that these laws are too tough, that we're too tough on sex offenders? Explain what you meant. Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Some harsh and highly unusual questions from Republicans to Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson during her confirmation hearings this week. But as the parties gear up for midterm elections and beyond, could the sharp questioning backfire on the GOP? Before we go, I've got to get your thoughts on, on the, on the Ketanji Brown-Jackson confirmation hearings. We were promised by uh, Minority Leader McConnell that it would be a fair uh, process, free of rancor, uh, within... 30 minutes or 60 minutes, the first question. On a scale of 1 to 10, tell me about your religion, your religious. There's no religious test. And then, of course, the other one, define a woman. Uh, and my, the best one was, and you know, for me to watch these proceedings, to quote Dr. King, and then to turn Dr. King into somebody who's against the people who are still fighting for that dream. Yeah, no, it's pretty... But, it, it, but, was, it was pathetic. But, but, this, but this focus on, on child pornography and mm -hmm. pedophiles... QAnon. 
I mean, there I mean, was a message to QAnon, wasn't it? I mean, these are not major cases. These were, these were. QAnon. Yeah, that was QAnon to ask real questions because clearly you saw her answer. She's fine with pedos. I mean, the internet makes it so easy just to get freebies. Come on, man. You get a bunch of little kids having sex pictures. There's nothing wrong with that. It's the internet's fault. They were so bold. The Washington Post literally did an article on a poor pedo and how hard his life was. Told you this map shit is no shitter. They, they're all about the map. And then you have... New York Times, repulsive, weeps for Jackson, defends Kavanaugh, and they had the gall this week. Here's just one of about a million. Never as a confirmationary being less about law and more about partisan point scoring and presidential campaign launching. Forget advise and consent. This is smear and denigrate because she's black, so you can't ask her questions. And she's a woman, even though we don't define women. Oh, that's fuck up. Sorry. This lady literally came on and said Kavanaugh was never smeared. It was all based on facts. All facts. None of it was conjecture. Even though the FBI couldn't find any of it. All fucking facts. I mean, you can't even be surprised by this shit. Because this is my... I don't have a bumper my soundbite listen to this soundbite this is how far the media will go in their chase of woke u.s officials say that russia may be plotting a quote-unquote false flag operation in which they would deploy chemical or biological weapons and then blame ukraine for doing so now russia claims to have complied with international treaties calling for the elimination of these outlawed weapons but the specter of chemical and biological warfare like nuclear power has been hovering over this conflict from the start and would really bring this whole thing to a new level. Joining me now is the Honorable Andy Weber. He's a senior fellow for the Council on Strategic Risk. He's also the former Assistant Secretary of Defense for Nuclear, Chemical, and Biological Defense Programs under President Obama. Uh, clearly, um, we have very good intelligence that they're planning to use either chemical or biological weapons. That has been revealed publicly to put them on notice and try to deter them, and also privately through our national security advisor to the Russian national security advisor, General Petrushev. Uh, they could use them in many ways. They could use them uh, for assassinations against uh, military and political leadership. They could use it to clear buildings. They could use it on the military battlefield. Uh, they could use it to go after bomb shelters because uh, chemical agents can penetrate um, into buildings. So it is a, a hideous form of warfare. It's banned uh, by international conventions. And should Russia cross that line, it would be absolutely barbaric and horrific. Where do these chemical weapons come from? And how are countries uh, able to get their hands on them when they have been outlawed? Well, the ones uh, that were used against Navalny and in Salisbury, England, against Colonel Skripal were developed in Russian uh, secret military laboratories. Indeed, their use in peacetime in those two attempts is the smoking gun that they are violating the Chemical Weapons Convention, which prohibits making or stockpiling chemical weapons. 
You know, so this is uh, taking away a bit from the Russia conflict, but it is a, a bit interesting because the United States is very much against chemical weapons, um, yet police use tear gas here, right here in America, which is considered um, a, a chemical weapon. So is this uh, a bit hypocritical, perhaps, because we've seen tear gas used, uh, particularly during the Black Lives Matter protests? I'm just curious your thoughts on the use of um, chemical weapons in law enforcement while we're telling other countries that they shouldn't use it. Really, nobody should use these, perhaps. But I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, there is a loophole in the Chemical Weapons Convention that allows the use uh, for, of so-called riot control agents. So it's not illegal. Um, however, if it's used in warfare, for example, if Russia were to use any type of chemical weapon, including common uh, chlorine uh, gas uh, against Ukraine, it would be a flagrant violation of the Chemical Weapons Convention. Um, okay, I, uh, you're the expert. I thought the Chemical Weapon Convention outlawed the use of uh, riot control agents. In, um... Sweet God. Sweet God, stop. Just fucking stop. So I'm about to do something I shouldn't do to my viewers or listeners because you're all just going to leave me. This montage of woke that I've been storing for about two weeks, and I'm sorry for disconjoint. I'm just trying to pick things out. I have so many bookmarks, couldn't do them, and I'm leaving tomorrow on vacation, and I suck. I'm a horrible podcast. I'm not saying I'm a good one. This is cruel and unusual punishment, but I'm going to do it. It's time to get woke. Turn it up. Turn it on. Let's get a walk. Day eight of being a girl. And I've gotten some messages that are saying that I need to be calling myself a woman and not a girl. And I didn't even know that some women were offended by being called girls. So that's really good to know. But for me, the word girl feels great because I never got to be one growing up and it feels very able to make mistakes and growing and changing and evolving whereas the word woman feels very strong and confident and powerful and that still intimidates me a little bit so I'm gonna keep calling myself a girl hope that's okay love ya I know that every person of color has been on the receiving end of this so my video is actually more for white people actually this is a serious question and I would like a serious answer in my comment section or a stitch. Are y'all aware that y'all often take up space with disregard for the people of color around you? If there's any confusion, I can give you guys an example. I'm from New York City. Sometimes a sidewalk is narrow to the point where there's only enough room for two, tra two modes of traffic, one going and one coming. But that has never stopped white people from walking side by side and holding hands and expecting you to either stand and wait for them to pass or walk in the street if you need to keep going. Are you guys aware that this is something that you do or is it something that happens by accident? Because people of color are taught to be aware of how much space they're taking up at all times. So watching you guys take up space without even thinking about it is mind blowing to a lot of us. Hey guys, I'm in the women's restroom. <laughs> Important things to remember, not everyone who has a period is a woman and not every woman has a period. Period. Accept it, move on, it's good advice. 
but also to my fellow trans women out there, you should never try to shame a woman with a period into being grateful if they have one by saying something like, you're so lucky. If I were you, I'd be so happy. Um, you're not them. You don't have a right to speak for them and it's not your job. But also cis women, please stop telling trans women or women without periods in general, if they're lucky, they don't have to deal with it. Um, that is really insensitive and cruel in some cases. Let's just all agree to be civil and polite about this and tackle that kind of conversation with grace and not make it some snide remark. Cool. But everyone, you should make sure that you're comfortable kind of saying the word period out loud and being in a conversation about periods because it's a perfectly normal thing and the taboo that society has on it is ridiculous. Every day it seems like Leah Thomas's fellow athletes get more and more transphobic. Now they're saying they're uncomfortable sharing a changing room with her. You know, it's one thing to say that it has something to do with her speed. Like, that's transphobic too. But I can kind of understand it coming from a place of ignorance and not transphobia. However, this, this is just blatant transphobia. Nothing to do with her swimming, nothing to do with her abilities. They just don't want to be around trans people. You know, you Penn, if you really want to show your support for Leah, kick these transphobic girls off the team. They're the problem. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's twofold. It really hits hard um, in my heart professionally and uh, personally both. Uh, professionally, it, it truly makes me feel like um, I am not trusted as a professional. Um, I know my kindergarten standards through and through and um, nowhere in our curriculum does it have anything about um, teaching sexual orientation or sexual identity. Um, so for them to, to say that, that, that that's happening, um, that, you know, it's kind of crazy. Um, but uh, we should be able to have discussions and, and that's what we're encouraged to do in kindergarten. And then personally, because, um, you know, my, my kids do have questions. They want to know who the, uh, my partner is in pictures yeah. outside of my classroom and I should be able to speak to that. So, so do you worry that you won't even be able to talk about your own personal home life? I mean, I, I have a child in kindergarten right now. I know exactly that my, my child has two teachers, one of which has a daughter at home um, and is single. The other is married and has four children. I, I know everything about their lives because my kid tells me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You are 100% correct. Um, that's what we do as educators. We build relationships with our kids. And in order to build relationships, you talk about your home life. You talk about what you do on the weekends. That's building community. I It scares me that I am not going to be able to have these conversations with my children because they're going to ask me what I did on the weekend. I don't want to have to hide that my partner and I went paddle boarding this weekend because yeah. then they ask, well, what does partner mean, Mr. Bernard? And, you know, I, I'm worried. Can I tell them what it means? I'm also worried for my kids. I have a little girl this year who has two moms and the kids are curious about her two moms. They want to know about her two moms. You know, if they come to if they go to her and ask her about her two moms and she doesn't know what to say, they're going to come to me and ask me and then uh, you know so what do i do it just it opens up uh for parents to really take some legal action against the schools and teachers and uh in second grade we created a gender neutral toy store we wanted everyone to feel welcome and safe when they were shopping we had so much to learn and prepare before the toy store opened and one important lesson we dress dolls in different ways. We learned about gender expression, gender expectations, and gender stereotypes. 
In other lessons, we learn what cisgender means and what transgender means, and we learn what it means to be non-binary. We learned about the design process and invented our own toys. Listening to other people's ideas is very important. We organized toy donations from the GS community. Now that the store is closed, all the toys will be donated to Rosa Health Center. That's a GDS partner organization that helps immigrant families. We invited our parents and teachers to come to our toy store. Second graders have important jobs like manager, sales rep, guide, organizer, and cashier. When shoppers arrived, we gave them wallets so they can buy toys. We had great feedback from shoppers. One said, this is the best shopping experience I've had in years. Another said, I wish all stores were run by GDS second graders. The selection was great. The store was well organized and my shopping guide was knowledgeable about the product. Thank you for providing toys in the gender expensive store. I love the future toy ideas too. All kids should be able to play with toys they like. I would shop here again. There is work that we all know, that we all still need to do, and we are here for it 150%. Now, you and your husband were known as the parents of four boys in your community before Chazzy transitioned. So what was that transition like for you as a parent? And what is your advice to other parents who are on a similar journey? So when Chazzy, our daughter, when she really started to communicate to us, and that was at the earliest moment that she actually had words and language um, to communicate to us who she truly was, um, we were a little surprised because we didn't expect it. And then as we just literally raised her, supported her, just like all parents do, raising, you know, we're teaching her the right values, we're teaching her to give back. You know, one of her favorite things in the world to do is to volunteer and be in service to others. You know, that surprise evolves into something just really cool and important and and that is the realization that she's our daughter and so what i would say to all of those parents out there and all the folks by the way millions of folks still in our country who say they've never met a transgender or non-binary young person i would say this i would say these children are here and they are wonderful and all all it takes is love all right, Jen Grosshandler of the Gender Cool Project. We appreciate it, Jen. Thank you. And a huge, a huge thanks to our Diane Macedo for that. Very important. And all this content's going for to kids who don't know any of this. And even if they're in a household like Keith uh, that have uh, supportive parents, they're still getting all of this information from media of what is normal. And we just... It's a, there's a lot of power to that and it just needs to be acknowledged. It's like, I love Disney's content. I grew up watching, you know, all of the classics. They have been a huge, like informative <laughs> part of my life. But at the same time, like 
I worked at small studios most of my career and I'd heard, you know, you hear whispers. Like I, I'd heard things like, oh, you know, they won't let you show this at a Disney show. And I'm like, okay. So I was a little like sus when I started. And, but then my experience was bafflingly the opposite of what I had heard on my little pocket of like, you know, proud family, Disney TVA, um, the showrunners were super welcoming Meredith Roberts and like the, the our leadership over there has been so welcoming to like my like not at all secret gay agenda and so like I I feel like I felt like it was I mean like maybe it was that way in the past but I guess like something must have happened in the last like like they are turning it around they're going hard and then all that like momentum that I felt like that sense of I don't have to be afraid to like let's have these two characters kiss, let's, in the background, this, like, I was just, wherever I could, just basically adding queerness to, like, to, if you see anything queer in the show, I'm proud of But, like, I, I just was like, no one would stop me and no one was trying to stop me. Thank you. I'm Professor Mark Dice. I teach gender studies at California State University, and my colleagues and I across the country have been making tremendous progress in shattering the gender binary. We've introduced, as you know, a growing list of over 57 different gender identities. Many people don't know which gender they want to be. It's an extremely creative process. The reason I'm here is obviously the college students, young adults, their minds still fairly malleable. But we've seen the don't say gay bill being passed in Florida. And if we're going to truly succeed in the new world order, we're going to have to reach the younger children. And maybe on a local level, we could start with introducing ordinances to ban even identifying anyone as a gender at all. And if we can stop referring to the children as just boys, girls, he's or she's until they're old enough to decide, uh, perhaps then we can complete the, I mean, let's just be honest here, the Marxist revolution. We can get to the point where a lot of us can shed the label of a Democrat and just openly admit that, that we are Marxists. Repealing the First Amendment on a national level may be a little bit difficult, but we've seen surveys conducted on the Oceanside Pier that there are a lot of people that are willing to accept that. So we're just recommending the Bilderberg Group, Think Tank, some of our associates, World Economic Forum are recommending that on local levels we prevent the gendering of children at all. As you know, children will believe virtually anything at a young age. They believe that a man in a red suit flies around and brings presents to them every Christmas. And if we can convince them that uh, there is no such thing as gender, that boys can be girls, girls can be boys, that men can get pregnant, uh, that women can have um, external um, genitals, penises, then I think that we'll be able to really succeed in what it is that we're trying to do here. We're gonna to have to start reaching the children on a younger level. And again, by the time a lot of these students reach college, uh, many of them are set in their ways. Some of them are watching Tucker Carlson, other YouTubers. Thank you very much, sir. And thank for you. More, subscribe to the Mark Dice YouTube channel. That's it, for thank more you. Information. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> And so I would just tell people it's a free country, do what you believe in, but understand if you are out protesting this bill, you are by definition putting yourself in favor of injecting sexual instruction to five, six, and seven-year-old kids. I think most people think that's wrong. I think parents especially think that's wrong.
Okay. Um, let me ask you about this National Day of Visibility. Really important, I think, to so many people in the LGBTQ plus community, to the trans community. Um, the White House is doing a lot today. I know you're having a conversation with trans kids with the second gentleman. You've got a visit from Jeopardy champ Amy Schneider over to the White House. You have Secretary Cardona in Florida today for a roundtable, a state where the governor, as you know, has just signed into law the so-called Don't Say Gay bill. Um, we're in this point now in this country where almost half of Americans know somebody who is transgender or who goes by gender-neutral uh, pronouns. But just this year, as we laid out in the introduction, more than 30 state legislatures are talking about passing anti-trans bills or laws. As a doctor, as a member of the trans community, can you talk about what else can be done on the federal level by the Biden administration, right, as you're seeing some of these actions on the state level? Well, it is so wonderful that we have a president, President Biden, who supports us and advocates for us and who sees us. And he has articulated many times, including with, with an announcement today about his support for the transgender community and particularly his support for vulnerable transgender youth. So that support is being demonstrated throughout the administration uh, with Secretary Becerra of Health and Human Services, as you said, Secretary Cardona of, of, of Education. And so, you know, this event at the White House further demonstrates the support for the of the president. Public education has gone off the rails. Now it's about power and money and politics, and somehow the kids are getting lost in all of that. It doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you're a mom and a dad first. Critical race theory is dividing our children in ways that are unacceptable. You cannot use racism to eradicate racism. Our teachers are bullied. Parents are shut out. Less than one third of America's school children are proficient in anything. They're teaching these kids X-rated sex acts. When we look at this radical agenda, the way our children are being exploited and the way parents are getting shut out, it comes down to one fundamental question. Whose children are they? Whose children are they? De quien son esos niños? Whose children are they? Now to Florida tonight, where Governor Ron DeSantis has signed that bill into law, banning instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity with younger children through third grade. ABC's Victor Akendo in Florida tonight. Show it off official. Tonight, it's official. Florida's controversial Don't Say Gay bill, as it's known by critics, signed into law by Governor Ron DeSantis. We will make sure that parents can send their kids to school to get an education, not and indoctrination. The parental rights in education law now banning classroom instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity in grades K through three and any instruction that is not age appropriate or developmentally appropriate. It's now up to the state to update and define those standards. The law also allowing parents to sue school districts that violate these policies. Please. 
the bill sparking protests for weeks. A controversial bill became law today in Florida. The Republican governor signed the measure that bans lessons on sexual orientation and gender identity in kindergarten through third grade. Critics call it the don't say gay bill and say it marginalizes LGBTQ plus people. Governor Ron DeSantis and other Republicans claim that the law is reasonable. Florida, the governor today signed a contentious bill that restricts teaching about gender identity and sexuality in elementary schools, and more states are pursuing similar laws. Sam Brock has that story tonight. After weeks of controversy, Governor Ron DeSantis today signed the Parental Rights in Education bill surrounded by young children. The law bans classroom instruction and conversation about sexual orientation and gender identity for public school students in kindergarten through third grade. Around 15 states from Tennessee to Louisiana are now considering legislation looking at how LGBT... That's all real. That is just so fucking painful. I, I, I am sorry. I, I'm sorry I did it to you. I mean, that's just... That stuff that's just on Twitter... You got the dude, you got the black lady get off the street, you got that guy pretend to be a girl, that really ugly girl talking about with Leah Thomas, the teacher. Why are you even talking about your personal life with kindergarten kids? And then stuff from kindergarten, and then the mother, and then two people from Disney, and then the end result, they want to groom your kids. They talk to the guy who's the woman of the year, and the net's getting upset about the don't say gay bill that isn't don't say gay bill it's not real they're lying 60 percent of democrats in florida agree with it and then i forgot to add my slides because we we still got some more we got some more my friends it doesn't it doesn't stop because they want 100 percent unadulterated power and to get that they can get you to say whatever the fuck you want. This is a real thing. Facebook. That should be child abuse, eh? Special panties so you can have your kid tuck. Tuck. Really? Okay. That sounds good. And that woman with her kid... You see that it, 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 my God, but I forgot the my favorite one this week that I'm not doing race. MSNBC claims home fitness and MMA is white supremacy. Yeah, that's that's a thing now. That's where we're going. Okay. Another Alexandria High School withheld details from a parent about a reported multiple assailant rape on school grounds, and they were trans again. And all on this, I'm wrong. This is a hospital, a children's hospital. There's even proof. And hold on, let me put this one up. This is what NBC did. They literally doctored the photo to make her look like a girl or him look like a girl. Excuse me. School social worker reminds us to discuss Leah Thomas as if there was a transgender person in the room, because probably there is. And then she deleted it, so it's gone.
Babylon B is still suspended for Twitter for saying man of the year is a joke about the man, Rachel Levine. And then the most disturbing thing is now there's walkouts by normals at Disney because Disney is bucking to two tweets. And that's why I put in that soundbite by the only person fighting this, which is DeSantis. He's the only one. GOP is so cowed and scared. They don't they don't want to do it. I mean, that's a school. Why are we having kindergarten gay days? That's a school. Introductory assignment for second graders. Transgender affirming. There is girl, boy, he, him, she, her, neither, both, they, them, pronoun training for kindergarten. Here's another one. Even as a as a toddler and a preschooler, they were showing us who they are, um, but they just didn't have the vocabulary for it. So on your screen right now. That's a workshop. It's a lie. Kids don't know their sexuality. Um, Jesus Christ. Here's another one. Hey, this is illustrated. We see gender as not this like linear spectrum where you have um, feminine on one side or masculine on another. Um, these are very fluid, right? We, we can feel more feminine or masculine at different points in our life, um, day to day, right? Year to year, season to season in a person's life. Um, our gender and our thoughts around gender can change over time. Um, and so when we're thinking about gender inclusion, that's a great reminder that this work is not one time, right? It's not that you just join us for this, um, this workshop and you're an expert and you can go out and, and never think about gender inclusion again. Um, it's and same for when we're working with teachers in a classroom, right? They can attend our trainings or receive a rainbow kit, but this is ongoing work and we're always going to be learning more, right? And when we learn better, we can um, do better for, for our children. So when I introduced myself, um, I noted that I am the parent of two gender creative children. Um, and that means um, it's a way to describe anyone who is exploring, expressing, and identifying their genders in ways that challenge cultural norms and expand our binary understanding of gender. Gender expansiveness as a concept allows children to push the boundaries of what we think we know about gender through creativity and imagination. Right, And so when we um, do this work around gender inclusion, we're really creating spaces where children can be creative, can be imaginative, and can feel safe to express themselves however they feel. They're fucking kids. And the thing that's so hilarious is why they're doing this and not defining women and doing all the stupid shit. This is the army. I'm sorry, I fucked up. They got separate PT standards. But if there is no gender, why do we do this? None of it makes any sense. Um, here's a look inside a children's board book that defines coming out drag and pansexual. When they say, say gay, it's not all they want. 
the good, the gay BCs. Allyship is understood as a subordinate and supportive role within groups of activists for an identity group. Bisexual for five to eight-year-old children. Little children, really? C, coming out for five to eight-year-old little children, really? Drag. E, equity. F, family. G, gay. Hope. Intersex. Joy. Kiki. For black LGBT American culture and loosely defined as a gathering of friends. Lesbian. Mountain at the Klein. Non-binary. Orientation. Pansexual. Queer. Respect. S-U-W-Y. It's just fuck me. It's a goddamn cult. And then you see the stats. And this is just right off the board. I was going to do a Ben Shapiro. He had the actual, but there are no stats up to my generation. It's very small. Now, all of a sudden, 20% of kids say they're non-binary at the minimum. Because it's a fad. Jennifer Rubin. The GOP gibberish about cancel culture never looks so dumb. That's an op-ed. Came out March 20th. Hannah Cole Jones. Tipping goes back to slavery. Representative Preisler. The black and Latinx commuter are disproportionately criminalized because they won't pay their fucking fare. Yeah. It's the right doing in the culture war. Sure. Here's Tucker on the transsexual bullshit. And by the way, how is sexism even a meaningful category in a world in which sex has no meaning? Well, it's not. Why have Title IX, which bans sex discrimination in schools? If we don't have biological sex, how can we have discrimination on the basis of biological sex? Thinking this through? The Trump administration thought it through. Actually, they saw this coming. We should tell you that. The Trump White House tried to preserve Title IX by arguing that the concept of sex as defined in that law derives from biology, not from how you're feeling about your personal identity on any particular day. That's the case they made. In response to that, they were denounced as right-wing lunatics. The ACLU declared that, quote, the Trump administration is trying to erase trans people. (laughs) Really? Maybe it was bigger than that. Now, the Biden administration is in charge of everything, and in less than a year, the worst, most fervid predictions have come entirely true. Female athletes are losing NCAA championships to men dressing up as women in order to cheat their way to victory. Every person in America sees this happening. Very few are brave enough to say a word about it. But here's one of them. This is a woman who happened to be watching an NCAA swimming championship in which a male swimmer going by the name of Leah Thomas dominated every woman in the pool. I'm a woman. That is not a woman. We'd love to have her on. I'm not a vet, but I know what a dog is. Yes, you do. We all do. Even Kentanji Jackson knows. She's had a few children of her own. She probably learned exactly how the process works. The point of the trans movement isn't to convince anyone that biology isn't real. They're not even trying. That's an impossible case to make. 
You would sound ridiculous if you tried to articulate that, much less explain it. The point of this exercise is very different. The point is to make the rest of us repeat a lie, to say something we know perfectly well is not true. Yes, Leah Thomas is a proud, beautiful woman who won the swim meet because she practiced harder than the other girls. Leah Thomas deserved to win. Her victory wasn't cheating. And no, I don't notice her bulging swimsuit. I have no idea what you're talking about. That's what they demand you say. Not because they care about Leah Thomas or any other trans person, they could care less. Making you pretend to believe something you don't, that's the point. Because if they can make you pretend to believe something you know is untrue, they've won. They control your brain. So this isn't about trans people. It's about all of us, and the stakes are very high. And that's why the censorship is so intense. Have you noticed? Our national conversation about transgenderism is completely defined by censorship, by making you shut up. Not allowing you to notice the obvious is why they're doing it. There's no attempt to persuade you. There's no fact-based argument. You can't respond, oh, so men can become women just by wishing it so? Tell us how that works. Can I stop male pattern baldness the same way? Can I grow six inches? Please explain how this remarkable new power the trans community has discovered might apply to me. Can I do it too? The power of positive thinking. Well, that's a fair question. They'll never answer it. They'll just make you be quiet. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson Tonight. When the Apollo 11 astronauts returned from the world's first moon landing back in the summer of 1969, America rejoiced. Returning heroes were greeted with ticker tape parades in cities across the country and then around the world. By the end of it, the astronauts had visited two dozen. In countries, they'd waved to millions of adoring fans. They met Queen Elizabeth and then the Pope. But back home, not everyone was impressed. There's always somebody. And in New York City, that man was a jazz musician called Gil Scott Heron. He watched the moon landing and he noticed it was awfully white. In fact, he decided it was far too white to be legitimate. So in response to this, in 1970, Gil Heron released a spoken word piece entitled Whitey on the Moon. Here's a selection. I can't pay no doctor bills, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while Whitey's on the moon. Just taking my whole damn check. Junkies making me nervous. Price of food going up and a rat bit my sister. But Whitey's on the moon. Gil Scott Heron wrote that more than 50 years ago. And actually, if you think about it, not a lot has changed, at least in the positive direction. The price of food is rising faster than ever. Taxes have not gone down. Junkies are everywhere. The cities are still a mess. Joe Biden has been president of the United States for more than a year, and he hasn't fixed any of that. Honestly, he hasn't even really tried to fix it. It's all gotten worse, measurably worse. But Biden does plan to make one improvement, however. There will be no more whiteys on the moon. Biden's going to diversify space travel. Tucked away in the administration's latest $6 trillion budget proposal is $7.5 billion to, quote, land the first woman and person of color on the moon. Gil Scott Heron is gone now, but imagine if he had lived to see this moment. You can imagine the tears of joy and gratitude. After 50 years, Whitey has finally been vanquished from the moon. We are free. We are finally free. In a sense, anyway, it doesn't mean the cities are any better. If you live in Baltimore, for example, there's still a pretty good chance your sister could be bitten by a rat. She could definitely be killed in a drive-by shooting. Baltimore is more dangerous than it's ever been. The city's murder rate is higher than El Salvador's. 
Baltimore is more than 60% black. The overwhelming majority, almost every murder victim in the city, is also black. So you would think that would count as some kind of civil rights violation. It seems like one, all those dead black people, all those grieving African-American families. But strangely, Joe Biden, the civil rights president, never mentions Baltimore. And that's weird. Maybe he doesn't know what's going on in Baltimore. But he probably does because it's all over the news. Watch. Seven shootings in less than four hours Friday. It's scary. Back in the Otterby neighborhood, residents are now feeling uneasy about an area they always thought was safe. As crime continues to surge in Baltimore, city police are trying to tackle that crisis while also facing one of their own as their ranks seem to dwindle by the day. Our cameras caught what appears to be one of those open-air drug deals happening in broad daylight. This year, 311 has gotten a call just about every 10 minutes for dirty alleys and dirty streets and illegal dumping. According to Baltimore police data, there were 341 homicides and 738 shootings in the city last year. You see those numbers? 738 shootings in the city of Baltimore, 341 murders just last year. Now, you'd think someone would care about that. For perspective, that is far more people than died in the Tulsa race riot, the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, and Bloody Sunday in Selma, Alabama combined. And it didn't just happen once, it happens every year. Yet there's been no mention from Joe Biden of Baltimore. There's been no federal response to Baltimore, no troops deployed, no Justice Department investigation. There's been no real acknowledgement that it's even happening. What is this? Well, that, ladies and gentlemen, is the equity agenda distilled. 341 murders in one city mean nothing compared to the theoretical promise of a black lady on the moon. We're going to have a black lady on the moon. You're free. You're finally free. So stop complaining. Ignore your unraveling life. We've got a symbolic victory for you. No, you can't eat it. It won't keep you safe from gunfire, but you're going to love it. And if you're still not satisfied with your life in Baltimore after that symbolic victory, here's another. According to the White House today, this is Transgender Appreciation Day. And Joe Biden has informed us we'll called trans senior citizens. Really, it's like Christmas, but it's better than Christmas because we don't have to buy presents, which in case you haven't noticed, have gotten much more expensive recently. So this is the cheapest, best holiday ever. All we have to do is bathe in the reflected glory of transgender rights. Here's the president to explain. The onslaught of anti-transgender state laws attacking you and your families is simply wrong. This administration is standing up for you against all these hateful bills. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom, on the playing field, at work, in our military, in our housing and healthcare systems, everywhere, simply everywhere. Today, we're announcing even more steps, but there's always more work to do to end the epidemic of violence against transgender women of color and girls of color, to ensure transgender seniors can age with dignity, dignity, to parents of transgender children, affirming your child's identity is one of the most powerful things you can do to keep them safe and healthy. So this administration is standing up for you. And those are words that every American is grateful to hear. But in this case, there's a caveat. You means trans seniors. Now, wait a second, you may wonder, as you sit down with your family to celebrate the joy of transgenderism on Transgender Appreciation Day, how many trans seniors are there in this country? No offense, but the trans thing seems pretty new. And if it's not new, how come no one had ever heard of it before, say, four years ago? And is securing trans rights really the biggest problem that old people in America now face? 
Well, don't ask because asking is violence. And as you just heard, if there's one thing that trans people don't need more of, it's violence. As Joe Biden just told us, there is a, quote, epidemic of violence against transgender women of color in America. There is? We didn't know that. We keep track. We never heard that. We know there's an epidemic of murder in Baltimore. Hundreds and hundreds of people died just last year. But anti-trans violence is a new concept. So we went dutifully to the numbers and we checked. And here they are. According to the activist group, the Human Rights Campaign, which probably isn't skimping on the number, in 2018, there were a total of 26 transgender Americans of all colors who were killed. Around the same time, a group called the Williams Institute estimated there were a total of about 1.4 million Americans who identified as transgender. So you put those numbers together in a simple equation and you find that the murder rate for transgendered people that year was 1.8 per 100,000. Okay. By contrast, the murder rate for the entire American population that year was 4.9 murders per 100,000. So actually, contra Joe Biden, you were a lot better off being trans than being not. Being trans was definitely a lot safer than living in Baltimore. You may have not have known that. In fact, doubtless you did not know that. Joe Biden didn't mention it today because, in fact, no matter what they tell you, the people of Baltimore don't have a place in the equity agenda. And that's why you don't see them on MSNBC. They don't teach at Princeton. They're not technically oppressed, unlike doctors at, say, Wake Forest School of Medicine. They're oppressed. This week, an oppressed student doctor at Wake Forest called Cashel DeRosio tweeted about stabbing a patient who dared to mock her preferred pronouns. So in the name of trans rights, she stabbed him. She tweeted this, quote, I had a patient I was doing a blood draw on, see my pronoun pin, and laugh loudly to the staff, Del Rosario wrote. I missed his vein, so he had to get stuck twice. She stabbed him. Then another student at Wake Forest Medical School, a future doctor, this one called Yuen Lu, publicly called the episode karma, karma for the patient who was stabbed. So here you have two doctors in training boasting about hurting a patient because he mocked trans rights or something like that, their pronouns. So we wanted to know what Wake Forest Medical School had to say about this. So we reached out to them. We've done it all week. We'd love to know who got stabbed. What's the name of the victim? We also want to know if these two students are going to be expelled or will they be treating you at the free clinic soon? Doctors aren't supposed to assault their patients under any circumstances, particularly over a medical disagreement. But the dean's office at Wake Forest appears to have taken the phone off the hook. They're not answering our calls. Finally, after two days of hounding, the medical school's publicist told us taking a leave of absence, but also that, quote, all of our procedures were followed while caring for this patient. <laughs> caring for this patient. <laughs> he made fun of her pronouns, so she stabbed him. In other words, Wake Forest Medical School doesn't care that its future doctors are boasting about stabbing their political opponents. That's all within normal procedures at Wake Forest Medical School. Obviously, this will not be a big story. This may be the last time you ever hear of it. It'll blow over because it's not out of the ordinary. Like most medical schools, Wake Forest now admits doctors based on two criteria, their appearance and their political views. They've trained their doctors to view political dissent as violence. Respect my pronouns or I will stab you. And now these medical schools are covering for physicians who commit malpractice, who commit violence in the name of equity. Obviously, this is lawlessness, but instead of doing anything about it, instead of protecting you, the patient, our leaders are finding new ways to tell you that you deserve your punishment. So to that end, the Biden administration has just signed a new anti-lynching law. Anti-lynching? What century is this? Will it help the people of Baltimore? Probably not. That's not the point. 
Here's the point. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris explain. Racial hate isn't an old problem. It's a persistent problem, a persistent problem. And I know many of the civil rights leaders here know, you heard me say it a hundred times, hate never goes away. So today we are gathered to do unfinished business, to acknowledge the horror in this part of our history, to state unequivocally that lynching is and has always been a hate crime, and to make clear that the federal government may now prosecute these crimes as such. Lynching is not a relic of the past. <laughs> lynching is wrong. Really? Had no idea. There are a lot of lynchings going on in the United States. Probably fewer than they are drive-by shootings in Baltimore or Detroit or Gary, Indiana, or the city that you live in. Definitely more drug ODs going on. What's the federal response to those? There isn't one. You're supposed to ignore them. We play tape like this all the time, and if you're a normal person, stories like this begin to feel overwhelming after all. There are just so many of them. It seems like this ongoing revolution will never end. But take three steps back. What you don't see, because we're all right in the middle of it, is that this revolution, this equity revolution, is already over. This is not an ascendant movement. This is the final self-parodic stage of American neoliberalism. It helps nobody. It's ridiculous. It is poisonous and disconnected from reality. He is spot on. And when the world's on fire, you have a commander in chief that is telling troops they're going to go to combat, that he didn't say that uh, things would deter, that he didn't ask for regime change. He's talking about transgender rights. Everybody buying a fucking car they can't afford and they're going to save $80 on gas, but yet he doesn't understand that it costs me uh, at least $45 every two weeks. So that's 90 just for my car that gets good gas mileage. The Jeep, it's $100 a month. And then electricity has already gone from 170 to 250 where I live. And we're using less electricity because they snuck that shit in too. But yeah, lynching. Transgender rights. You're made in the image of God, he says. Well, God made men and women. He didn't make whatever the fuck some of these people are trying to be. Really think about how every time they get caught being totally fucked up with inflation, gas prices, the war's a mess, they always go to some social justice shit because they don't live in the real world. They live in Twitter world. It's all Twitter all the time. And it's laughable. There is no transgender genocide. We've covered that numerous times on the story. There's, there's a veteran genocide. They're committing suicide still at a high rate, but nobody seems to care in Washington. But yeah, transgender rights, lynching green cars. They don't live in the real world. And I don't even blame Biden because he doesn't know what the fuck he's saying. He's just reading words right now. He's half brain dead. He's not well. But that was the priority. We have tied ourselves in knots and now it's all falling apart. 
his approval ratings lower than Trump's, they're going to get killed. They can go after tranny rights and be clearly on the wrong side of history with this transgender bill shit because it was about just don't talk about sex to kindergarten. But that's what it was about. It had nothing to do with gay. But you see them. It's essential for people to properly become liberals to get brainwashed because their policies are not important. They're stupid things. Right now, every one of us is trying to put food on a table, keep our mortgage, and put gas in the tank and get to a job we don't even want to go to. And everywhere we look, it costs more because of his policies and his rhetoric. He says things and it happens. And we spent years of Trump. We were told Trump was horrible. But this guy gaffs, says horrible things. His foreign policy is a failure. And you saw it. The media, they'll spin it. They'll bury Hunter. Hunter's going to go to jail, probably. But in the long run, his dad was the one getting the money off it. His dad. Not Hunter. I mean, there's enough emails that they have supposedly verified now. Sorry, I'm checking to see the wife. I have my phone on silent. Let me restart it. Um... They verify there's plenty of saying for the big guy. Well, who the fuck is H? And where's Bobolinsky? You notice how that guy went bye-bye? Yeah, I bet he's dead. It's serious times for serious people, and these people are not serious. These people are broken. They're living in Twitter. Not the real world. They don't have to pay for their food. They don't have to pay for gas. They have no fucking clue what's going on. They're batshit fucking crazy. So, this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with your family and friends. And go to foppodcast.com to find this show and all other shows. I apologize once again. I apologize every show. I'm trying to get shows out. I just can't. Still dealing with a lot of illness. Uh, get gastro, got three hernias. They don't know what it is. They believe it's a hiatal as of yesterday, but I see a gastrologist today and then probably a month, two months from now, I'll get a scope and then we'll actually know what's going on with my stomach. But yesterday was the first time I, I literally tried to eat normal food and not take something. And, uh, yeah, that was stupid. Got really sick. Tried to take a nap, lay flat in the bed. Can't do that still. So There's something wrong. We'll find out what it is. But for those that are still listening, I appreciate it. Um, the the road's getting shorter. I, I'm looking at probably first of the year. That'll be it. I'll quit and come back to doing podcasts, do three a week, and just blow your phone up. And they'll be like, he does too many podcasts. And they're boring. But this has kind of turned into a weekend review, which really wasn't my intent when I set this thing up. But it is what it is. Um, life is life. I hope all of you are safe out there. Um, I know we did a little stocking up because food's going to get worse. And 
Even our anniversary is simple. We didn't buy presents. We're heading up to a, a junkin' town north of us about two hours away, doing some junkin', staying in a hotel that I got for free because I still have traveling points. And then we're going to come home, and I go back to work Tuesday, work through Saturday. I'll do a show next Sunday. Um, we are like everybody else. We're just trying to get ahead, and getting ahead is paying off the last 2000 on a credit card, paying off our earrings and stacking money in the bank. That's the intent, and we hope we can finish that up, and then I'm going to quit dipping, and that saves us money, and I'll stop drinking Monsters and just drink water, and God knows in my stomach what I'll be able to do anyway. But the future doesn't look bright, and that's sad. It's just very depressing each week I do one of these is when I really catch how fucked up things are. I've yet to talk to anybody who defends Biden. More and more people are like, we got duped. And you did if you voted for it. I meant to bring them down. I got a bunch of new stickers. One of them is any whoever voted for Biden owes me gas money is the arrow to the... Uh, price total on your gas and then i got a sticker that's bigger that has the gas gauge going down i'm put that on the jeep and a f fuck joe biden sticker goes on today before we drive out of the parking lot so that'll be fun then our car get vandalized by some peaceful liberal you notice i didn't talk about chris rock not gonna everybody's talking about it just don't care just don't care. If the Fresh Prince was white, he'd be cuffed. Just put it straight up. That's the way it'd be. But he's black, so he gets away with it. That's the way it is. And the same people that will sit and now push in the NFL, you have to have a black offensive coach by the beginning of the year. Every team is 90% black. They're making plenty of money. It's all bullshit. It's just bullshit. None of their arguments from women make less to black people not getting coaching jobs are based on reality. They're based on woke. And they're lying. So, boom. I'll see you next Sunday, and that will be uh, April 10th, year of our Lord, 2022. Y'all take care out there and be safe.